The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome, everybody, to Scorebox. It's Wednesday, so we thought we'd do our impression of the Brady Bunch. We've got Arabile, who's looking at the end-of-month markets. What have we got? We've got Charlotte, who is uh, looking at Nova Nordis. We've got Sylvia, who's looking at uh, Novartis. We've got Arjun looking at tech. And we've got Karen, who's going to try and keep me in check for the next three hours. <laughs> right, OK, that's uh, the cast today, a bumper day of earnings. These are your headlines. Alphabet shares slide an extended trade after ad revenues miss expectations despite the tech giant reporting its fastest quarter of revenue growth since early 2022. Microsoft, meanwhile, posting its highest profit growth in over two years, beating on both the top and the bottom lines, but shares struggle on the back of a lighter revenue forecast for the current quarter. Tesla shares slip into reverse after a U.S. judge voids Elon Musk's $56 billion compensation package, ruling the decision to award him the mega payout was deeply flawed. The China's factory activity contracts for the fourth straight month as the economy struggles amid weak demand. But the IMF's chief economist tells CNBC there are signs of resilience. China is, is slowing down on account of the uh, property sector problems they're having, but they also have been revised up. Uh, they've been uh, doing better than we projected in October. Santander posts a fourth quarter net profit of 2.9 billion euros, a near 30% gain on the year before. We'll speak to the Spanish lender's executive chairman, Ana Botin, in a first on CNBC interview. That's at 8.25 CET. Right, a warm welcome to uh, what is going to be an incredibly great show. So many busy elements to it as well. That's why we've got all our reporters lined up for you, including uh, looking at Novartis. And as I say, Sylvia is looking at this in Basel as well. Let me just tell you, the shares off their March lows last year have had a massive rally, rallying around about 20 Swiss as well. Already year to date, uh, they are up around about 9%. So do the numbers justify this valuation? Well, I'm looking at the first figure, and that's the fourth quarter core EPS, which is coming at uh, $1.53 per share. Um, the IBES estimate was for 1.62, so mildly underwhelming there as well. Uh, the sales figure, uh, a decimal miss, I would suggest, 11.4 billion US dollars rather than 11.76 expected for fourth quarter net sales. The net income has come in at 2.6. 4 billion US dollars. The core net income, uh, 3.13. A little bit of commentary as well. Um, Novartis says it's delivered strong full year performance, 10% net sales, 18% core operating income growth as well. Margin expansion, absolutely key there as well. There's a lot in there. And as I say, Sylvia has been digesting the numbers. Um, Sylvia, talk us through the highlights and the lowlights. 
So let's look at net sales, definitely the one of the most important numbers for the market. They came in at $46.4 billion for the full year. That is slightly below what markets had expected. But indeed, all in all, when you look at these results, they do show a strong performance for 2023. I also just want to remind our viewers that in the first, second and third quarters of last year, we did see this company beating expectations and at the same time raising their forecast. So we have been getting quite a strong message from Novartis throughout 2023. And here it's also important to keep in mind that last year we saw the company successfully spinning off Sandoz. So that was the generic generic pharmaceutical part of the business. So what we have now is essentially almost a brand new company in the sense that they are focused on the innovation and on these key drugs. With that in mind, I also want to share this comment from the CEO in the statement. It says that the very strong performance of our key growth drivers and pipeline underscores the confidence in our growth at 5% between 2023 and 2028 and a margin of about 40% by 2027. So that's the midterm guidance. Now, this is important because it is one of the open questions that the investors had going into these results, understanding what are the plans for the future? What is the, tra- the strategy going ahead? Because as I mentioned earlier, we did see Novartis with quite a strong performance and quite a few achievements in 2020. So now what the markets are looking for is guidance for the next few years. And having spoken with a couple of analysts ahead of these results, one of uh, the comments I gathered was that indeed when it comes to their pipeline, that there's a limited clinical catalyst calendar in 24. And therefore, for some parts of the market, what they're trying to understand is the numbers and whether the company will be able to deliver on some of these targets for the next couple of years. All in all, though, we know that the the company has success in 2023. But indeed, I also want to share with you where some of that uh, growth came from in uh, the past year. For instance, when you look at Entresto, so that is their heart failure drug, that was still uh, up by 31%. That is the most important drug in their portfolio. And that also performed quite well in 2023. Kiskali, the breast uh, cancer drug, also up 75%. And Pluvicto, which is also another important drug for this company um, when it comes to the prostate cancer uh, part of, uh, of, the, of their market, up by 261%. So some of their key drugs did deliver also for the full year. But on that note, we'll have the chance to digest these numbers in more detail and understand what are the plans from Novartis for the next couple of years. Speaking with the CEO, we'll bring you that interview at 8.05 CET. So stay tuned for that. Sylvia, thank you. We're looking forward to hearing from Vaz. Let's circle back to the big tech numbers. Alphabet shares are sharply lower in extended trade after the company posted mixed results for the fourth quarter. The company beat on the top and bottom line, but ad revenue for the holiday quarter came in below analyst forecasts. The CEO, Sundar Pichai, said Alphabet search and cloud businesses are already benefiting from generative AI. I'm happy with what we are seeing in the earliest days of SGE. It's available through search labs in seven languages. 
by applying generative AI to search, we are able to serve a wider range of information needs and answer new types of questions, including those that benefit from multiple perspectives. People are finding it particularly useful for more complex questions, like comparisons or longer queries. It's also helpful in areas where people are looking for deeper understanding, such as education or even gift ideas. Meanwhile, Microsoft posted a top and bottom line beat for its fiscal second quarter, fueled by stronger than expected performance in intelligent cloud. However, guidance for the current quarter, revenue came in below market expectations. Shares fell in extended trade. Arjun is with us for more. Arjun, the Reuters headline, AI-related companies lost $190 billion in stock market value late Tuesday. And I can see why. If you look at where we've been directed, Microsoft said, look at the cloud revenues. That's where we're seeing the first initial bump, thanks to AI. Then they go on to tell us that six percentage points, just six percentage points of Azure's cloud growth came from AI demand. That's hardly really matching the hype that we see in the stock market performance driven by AI. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that was uh, a couple of things. Look, going into both of these reports, in particular for Microsoft and, and Alphabet, these are stocks that have recently hit record highs on this AI hype. And, and there was so much expectation coming into this. And there was very little room for error, really. And, and these were, on the, on the surface, pretty good earnings reports on the whole. Even Microsoft's guidance forward uh, wasn't necessarily bad they were in there there or thereabouts with the figure around the market but it was around that ai hype i think that investors saw and perhaps were expecting a lot more perhaps they were expecting this huge announcement saying ai has completely transformed the business and and it's going to you know set off now earnings growth of, of 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 huge percentages but that just wasn't the case and i think it was more and you heard it with sachin adela on the earnings call trying to temper expectations to some extent saying Look, what we're seeing now is we're in the early innings of AI. This is very similar to what we saw with PCs. There are a few early adopters, but then it became standard issue uh, is, is the phrase he used. And so that's where he's trying to sort of position Microsoft and the market around AI right now, saying that, look, we're making a lot of investment in this, in this technology, but ultimately this is a long-term game and you will see those advantages but, in the future. So can I make two very brief points? And I will make them brief, I promise. One, there's a, a terrific comment in the FT copy. I was reading through various copies, CNBC, FT, Reuters, W Wall Street Journal. And, and it was this from uh, an analyst at Forrester called Lee Sustar and says, Alphabet and Microsoft customers were in buy AI now, figure it out if it works later mode, i.e., Let's just get it. We need it. We need to prove that we're on the AI bandwagon if we're a customer. And I think that's a really great truism for our time. But my second point is .com. And I'm not saying, um, oh, God, compared to the crash. I'm not going to make that point. What I am going to say is there isn't a company on this planet that is worth its salt that doesn't have an internet address and email. Now, I know that sounds disingenuous to say, but if you don't have this technology, you're nobody now. You cannot reach any customers. You cannot communicate with your staff or customers or anyone else if you don't have email or .com. It's a fact. And I, I see AI in a similar fashion. It's going to be something that every single company has to have. But the benefits from it are just going to be absorbed into various businesses. It's not going to say, I've got AI, ergo, I'm worth a 10% premium. It's going to be, I've got AI, at least I'm not being left behind. And I can't help thinking that that's, that's a similar factor for all technology that we have to adopt. Uh, can, I, uh, can I just pitch some numbers at you? Because over the past couple of years, 
We've seen tech companies grow in the 20s to 30s. That's a stock standard number. When it drops away from that, and we've also seen that scenario play out to the low single digits, that's when the market gets a little bit concerned about the the lack of growth. What we've had, it seems like AI is a prop. But getting back to numbers in the 20s to 30s, if you look at the the Azure cloud business, that the 30 odd percent that it grew at, that's fine. But is it justifying the valuation that we've seen in the market? For example, NVIDIA, the expectations are that it's going to grow somewhere in the order of 72% annualized growth versus historical levels of 28%. So my point with the numbers is that the numbers are not big enough really to justify what we've seen so far on the market moves. They're good relative to history, but not big enough on the hype stuff. Before he answers that, isn't this the case that actually everyone will have AI and then NVIDIA maybe will reach those figures, but the yeah. product will become commoditized, hence their margin per sale of GPU unit will be, be diminished, won't there, it? There's, there's two points there, I think. Firstly, on, on the front of, of what happens with AI, um, Microsoft is huge already. Its cloud business is massive. So those growth rates, I think, are going to be very difficult uh, to achieve again, those huge growth rates. I think one of the things you are seeing, as Steve points out, is that AI is sort of being infused into various businesses. While Microsoft is sort of talking about the six percentage point bump to its uh, uh, sort of uh, overall business, I think what what, what they're seeing is broader uh, take up of, of cloud products where AI is infused into this. So it's perhaps less clear cut and less almost exciting. These, these, are, these are processes and products that kind of just will, will sort of enter different products, whether it's search, whether it's uh, various other cloud products, they'll just sort of be there with AI uh, sort of help. And I think that's sort of how it's going to go. And it's not always going to be clear cut how much AI as a technology is necessarily going to be helping earnings. But I think what the market does want to see is discontinued growth. Uh, on the NVIDIA front, I mean, th- right now they're a, they're a very unique business. Uh, but they are facing a lot of competition. And I think what's going to be key is AMD has come out with its competitor. How does it compare in terms of performance in the data center when it's training these models? That's going to be pretty key. And I don't think what NVIDIA does is something that can be replicated very easily at this point. It's not like we've seen in some of the other chip uh, sort of spaces. Memory, for example, where you see Samsung and and SK Hynix and others uh, these are products that have become very commoditized where the margins sometimes are under pressure. But I think with the GPUs at the moment, at least in the near term, NVIDIA does have a pretty strong moat at this point. And I think going forward, the key is going to be how much performance do these chips require with more advanced processes uh, and effectively uh, who then in that, in that sort of world, when we talk about the future quantum computing and all these other newer technologies, <laughs> who then has the technology to lead that. But for now, it feels NVIDIA does have a, a pretty strong moat around this. Yeah, probably worth mentioning too that the macro does catch up with some of these stocks now yeah. because they are very much attached to the ad cycle, the consumer. And even though we're looking to the future, there's still an element of this is a slower macroeconomic environment. I think we saw that in the ad sales numbers mm. today coming through from Alphabet. Arjun, thank you. We'll digest a bit more later on. And for more on Wall Street's reaction to Microsoft and Alphabet's results, you can check out cnbc.com. AMD shares are lower in extended trade after the chip company said it expects around $5.4 billion in sales in the current quarter. It's below analyst expectations of more than $5.7 billion. The company warned sales in some of its key businesses, including PC chips, would decline from Q4 levels. However, the chipmaker raised its GPU chip sales forecast for the year, now expecting higher demand from AI technology. Chair and CEO Lisa Su will be speaking to CMC later today. Don't miss that first on CMC interview at 2.30pm CET. A Delaware judge has ruled that Tesla CEO Elon Musk is not entitled to a $56 billion pay package 
arguing that the EV makers board of directors failed to prove the compensation plan was fair. Tesla shares slid about 3% in extended trade. Um, yesterday we had Arabile standing next to a picture of a small car. Have we not got that skyline again now? They've just moved it on. I, I couldn't work out the skyline you were standing next to, but it's moved away now. Arjun informed me it was Beijing. Looks amazing. Yep. You, do you love Beijing? Uh, it's a, it's a interesting. It's huge. Have you been? It's massive. No, I haven't. You spent a lot of time. Sprawling. Out. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. You sort of will travel about half an hour, and you'll still be in one side of the city. It's massive. Wow. Uh, Arabile, sorry. Uh, you were, there. You go. You're next to the skyline of now. I've been told by Arjun Beijing. Well, it was Beijing. Yeah, and the key reason for that, of course, is because China's manufacturing contraction continues as January's PMI figures come in a little bit soft. The fourth month in a row then of contraction there. Europe's most valuable company, Novo Nordisk, is about to announce fourth quarter earnings. We'll bring you those numbers as they cross the wires at 7.30 CET. And we've got a huge roster of corporate leaders lined up for you today. We start off then with Novartis' CEO, Vas Narasimhan, just after 8 a.m. CET. Don't miss that conversation. It's a first on CNBC. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. As we've been talking about, a lot of big tech earnings are rolling through on the tape after the close yesterday. A lot of caution heading into that, and you can see the Nasdaq weaker as a result, down three quarters of 1%. But on the other major boards, fourth positive session for the Dow. We saw a fresh intraday high and also another record close on the finish. So, again, more appetite for stocks stateside. For the S&P 500, a fresh all-time high intraday and you can see just drifting off into the finish down three points and giving up uh, the 4,930 mark as uh, we just pull back as you can see. Let me show you what we've got on the rest of the board's treasury markets in particular. It's Fed Day, the market closely watching the cues we're going to get from the Federal Reserve around interest rate cuts, but also the wording around the statement of the markets closely picking through just what clauses remain and whether there are any key changes. We are drifting off and you can see just holding that 4% handle on the 10-year at the short end with 4.32. It could be a very active day for the bond market and as a result too for the dollar. Let's take a look uh, with the slightly lower yield there. And this is what we've got. The dollar still trying to make some gains morning session. Sterling dollar cable 126.72 down two tenths of a percent morning session. Euro also on the back foot, so perhaps a little bit of pre-Fed positioning this morning. Dollar purchase family versus the Japanese yen and also versus the yuan, where we've seen again another fade on some of the the numbers coming through from the factory side. Let me take you to what we've got out of the Asian markets. The early picture: Japanese stocks up six tenths of a percent. Another bounce. Australia solid too, uh, racing up by more than one percent. We're seven six eighty on the index, but that sogginess persists around the Hong Kong market and Shanghai concerns about what we're seeing in terms of the property market. The liquidation of Evergrande seems to have been another catalyst for the market to be cautious this week. Steve. Yeah, we're all waiting for the Chinese recovery. And there are signs in parts of the economy. I'll I'll, I'll tell you and fill in the details. Chinese manufacturing activity contracted, though, for a fourth straight month in January. Official manufacturing PMI rising to 49.2 from 49 
in December. But elsewhere, Lin Lin, in the services sector, do we have any joy? Nice to see you, Lin. Good to see you too, Steve. Yes, yeah, so the non-manufacturing PMI, that uh, did much better. Uh, that uh, came in at 50.7 versus 50.4 for the month of December. And I think the key here is if you look at that services sub-index, uh, that had been in contraction for the last two months of last year, but that has now moved into expansion, but only barely at 50.1. Meanwhile, on the construction side of things, that number still strong, but falling slightly at 53.9. The National Statistics Bureau, they've put that down to a lot of the seasonal factors here with that big Lunar New Year holiday coming up. Uh, They've said that, of course, it's a bit of an off-season for the construction uh, side of things in January as, of course, workers go home ahead of that holiday and perhaps, therefore, we are getting that uptick in terms of travel. Now, circling back to uh, the factory activity data for January, I think uh, Overall, though, it's still showing what we uh, left off on, on in 2023 in terms of weakness, in terms of demand, both externally and within the country. Although it must be said that if you look at that sub-index in terms of new export orders, it was at its highest point in four months, but still below that 50 line. A couple of things I think worth noting here, that employment gauge, it fell 0.3% to 47.6, so still showing a pretty a tepid, kind of appetite for manufacturers to hire. Also, the survey is still showing some deflationary pressures coming in in January. Uh, Of course, this is a factor the IMF has highlighted today as one of the major headwinds for China's economy this year. If you look at the input and output sub-indexes, they fell versus December. And of course, in recent days, we've had a lot of announcements coming out from central authorities in China in terms of more stimulus and support. The folks over at HSBC in their analyst note saying that it's unlikely that uh, that will play through in this data given the lag there. Now, of course, you know, we've got these numbers, as Karen was mentioning, the Evergrande liquidation on the Hong Kong side of this legislation of the new national security laws and just the overall sort of bearish sentiment that is certainly playing through in terms of the markets. And as we end January, it is staring down the barrel of its sixth straight monthly decline, uh, both for the Hong Kong markets and for the mainland. And I think uh, perhaps one gauge which really um, illustrates this sentiment is if you look at the longer term government bonds, they've been rallying and uh, that uh, 10 year, that yield currently sitting at uh, 243. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to CNBC.com or join us again on the show with me, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho weekdays on CNBC.